0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning healthy cooking secrets, talking about the pros and cons of having kids, or diving into what's really causing our gut and bloating issues. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today's episode is all about eating for our brain and mental health. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Drew Ramsey to the podcast. I have known Drew for years, and he's got such a brilliant mind and perspective. He is one of the leading proponents of nutritional psychiatry and the author of the amazing book, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety. He's also an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons and the founder of the Brain Food Clinic. On this episode, we talk about the six nutrients that influence our brain health, something called BDNF that I never hear people talking about, but is as important to your brain as serotonin and dopamine, the best ways to tackle insomnia, depression, brain fog, anxiety, and more, how to activate your glymphatic system and clean up the waste in your brain, why you should stop taking melatonin or at least reduce your dose the one food that you should be incorporating into every meal that you're probably not, and so much more. Basically, if you are interested in taking care of your beautiful brain, and let me be clear, all of us should be because it is the only brain that we're gonna get, this is the episode for you. We also have a super exciting giveaway for this episode. Hint, it involves a one-on-one virtual consult with Drew to talk about whatever you want, so definitely stay tuned till the end to find out how to enter that. I am so excited to hear your thoughts, so definitely screenshot and tag me. I am at Liz Moody and Drew. He is at Drew Ramsey MD on Instagram. Okay, let's get into all things brain health and mental health. All right. Thank you so much for joining me on the pod today. This is like a very personally interested conversation because anxiety has obviously played such a huge role in my life, so I'm really excited to get into all things brain health.
1: I can't wait to talk with you as well, Liz, just because we've known each other for a long time, have been emailing each other for a long time, and I'm a follower of yours, and so I'm going to try and not fangirl too much. And everybody who's tuning in thinks it's a treat for me to be with Liz. She's one of the people who really early, just a little behind the scenes for me, really early as I was like a neurotic, academic, psychiatrist, <laughs> food, and like worried that everybody thought I was nothing. Liz really helped with a lot of the early pieces for me with oh, Mind, Body, Green, but also just really kind and giving and thoughtful and like always encouraging and so really helped me very early on in nutritional psychiatry, feel some confidence. So thank you for that, Liz. I don't know if you know
0: That is so lovely to say and I really appreciate it. And I remember you always had the best, like we would often email a bunch of people to do like these roundup posts and you always had such good advice and insights and stuff like that. The feeling was very mutual. I really loved working with you and I'm excited to get to dive even deeper today. So let's get right into it. I would love to just get a little bit of an understanding about how the food that we eat impacts our brain health. What is the actual mechanism of action that's going on there?
1: Yeah, so there are nine. There are nine ways, mechanisms that I've identified that have reasonable evidence behind that they work. Starting from like the most basic, right? Your, your brain is constructed of food. Everything that is in your brain except for oxygen comes in through your mouth and you eat it, whether it's the serotonin made by tryptophan or the tyrosine that makes dopamine or the iron that you need to make other reactions to make those molecules a lot of people have heard of. There's kind of the construction way that food influences mental health. There's the way that food is one of the factors that kind of regulates the dial on whether our brains are in repair mode and grow mode or not, this is a new concept called neuroplasticity. Food dictates the microbiome. The microbiome is all the organisms that live in our gut. Everybody listens to Liz, know what the microbiome is. But you know, that really has a lot to do with mental health and mental health risk and, and also inflammation. If you're eating more plants and specifically lots and lots of fermented foods, I'm going to be chugging my kombucha this whole talk, getting my CFUs in for the day. Those are some of the ways. And then there's the other ways food affects mental health. Food connects us to our food web. That feeling of you go to your farmer's market and you bump into friends and Mm. you buy some, I don't know, or then there's a sitting down and eating food with people that's good for mental health. There's the sharing of food, right? There aren't a lot of concrete ways. It's like, hey, I see you. I care about you. I really want to give you something that I've thought of and I've made
0: Talk to me about the repair mode thing. You said that food signals our brain to be in repair mode or not. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, if we're eating in a way that really allows us to have a healthy, diverse microbiome, theoretically, over time, minute by minute, we have a kind of less reactive stance of our immune system. Not that our immune system doesn't respond appropriately, but that there aren't a lot of false alarms or there isn't that chronic din of I'm not sleeping enough I'm drinking too much alcohol. I'm eating a lot of sugar and garbage. I'm not engaged in a lot of good loving connection. You know, a lot of kind of signals that tend to make the brain grow and repair itself from the environment. And food is one of those. There are six nutrients, last time I counted, that have direct biochemical pathways that influence the major molecule involved in brain growth and repair. This process also called neuroplasticity, called BDNF. I think it should be everybody's favorite brain molecule. Because when I tell people I'm a psychiatrist, they're like serotonin or Prozac. I mean, like those are interesting. That's an interesting molecule. But BDNF is a molecule of hope in the brain because mm. it signals it us to the brain to make new connections. So anytime we're learning, anytime we're falling in love, anytime we're tapping into our motivation, I mean, it's a brain connection thing. So that's why I like BDNF. And so there are a number of nutrients, a couple of phytonutrients, molecules in plants, magnesium. B twelve, uh, DHA, the long chain omega three fat, and they all seem to signal more BDNF. Or there's little, there's one, the only one study I think to date on BDNF levels in humans and nuts eating daily nuts. Any nuts? I would say in the study, I think it was almonds and cashews. I, my bias is probably almonds, cashews, walnuts. Those are probably the main that I, I, I kind of think, too, is one the sort of rules of brain food for me are it's got nutrient density. Nuts are amazing in terms of meat. It's like a little packet of olive oil, which is like one of the few things that all the food people agree is good yeah. for you. There's like, <laughs> only a couple who are like, olive oil is bad. <laughs> it's hard to see. Like only a few of those, mostly people like it. So it's a little packet of olive oil. It's full of minerals and also some fat-soluble, phytonutrients. So you know, that's nutrient density.
0: How would you relate BDNF to something like dopamine? You mentioned it was like the molecule of motivation, which is something I think of for dopamine.
1: Yeah, it's motivating. I mean, dopamine is more of kind of like at the molecular level what's help us with like goal-seeking behavior and, and motivation. I think about it as motivating more, I guess, on the personal psychological spot, especially when we're struggling with our mental health, right? We're struggling mm. with anxiety or depression, or a lot of times you can feel stuck, or if you've been in treatment and you've been doing well, and then things kind of get worse or relapse, or you get unexpectedly trigger. It happens to patients all the time. They've had all kinds of different types of trauma. BDNF, I think, for me, allows us to be hopeful that wherever we are with our mental health, we can come to understand ourselves. We have Mm. capacity and power in our everyday life to change our brain health, that we're really not stuck. I think about BDNF as kind of like meta when it comes to the molecules in the brain, right? It's controlling the dynamics of brain growth, And brain repair, and even the birth of new brain cells. Mm. Whereas dopamine, I think about as a little bit more like a workhorse. Okay. Like an operatic of the brain. It's like, it's great, it's fun, you can make it go up, drink coffee, but then it goes down, and, and people feel sad and dysphoric and have a hard time with energy and motivation. So you mentioned
0: the nuts and BDNF correlation. Can you just, and then we'll move on to something other than BDNF, but I think it's an interesting concept that I haven't heard explored that much before. Could you give us maybe? one or two other very specific actionable things that we could do if we wanted to support our BDNF levels in our brain?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm glad that we haven't talked about it much because I think again, it's exciting that this isn't like something that's been out there for a while. It's it's not like it's a perfect biomarker like your doctor's ever going to measure your BDNF level, but I think it's a perfect concept for us because again it keeps us motivated. So things that really influence and help us with BDNF. In the diet, again, if we're talking about long chain omega-3 fats, For folks who are eating animal products and seafood, we're talking anchovies, sardines, wild salmon, and also the bivalves, mussels, clams, and oysters. But particularly mussels, I think, are kind of like the sweet spot there because they're the least expensive, the most versatile culinarily, and also have this really nice mix of, of B12 and DHA, whereas like the clams, clams are really packed with B12 and Oysters are really minerally, but I think the muscles hit that sweet spot. So anyway, DHA and, and the long-chain omega-3 fats. For the vegans and, and veggies, folks who don't eat seafood, uh, really the, besides fish oil pill, I guess for, for some folks who would want to go that route, and, and then there's algal oil pills, which are pure DHA usually. So challenging. They're usually quite low dose. And then the other problem is that in the studies, at least for depression, the studies that have been positive that fish oil can help, have more epa than dha so they're like two different types of omega-3 fats and it has a little bit more of the epa but other nutrients that help in kind of foods that correlate and it's a big part of i guess my work in nutritional psychiatry and i don't know when liz and i first met called me like an integrative psychiatrist or a psychiatrist but now they call me a nutritional psychiatrist because it's this new concept and idea that we can one of the tools we can use in mental health and in psychiatry is to look at how Dietary patterns that a lot of people are eating contribute to mental health disorders. That's very clear in the data now. It's very exciting. There are now five randomized controlled trials showing that you can do a diet intervention and treat clinical depression. It's mm. never been shown before in the data. So BDNF is probably a part of that, but I just think the notion that, wow, for the first time, really ever in history, the first study was published in 2017, the most recent one was just published. I think two weeks ago. I've got the preview manuscript here. It still is in final edits, but it's, it's a treatment in young men. We give them a Mediterranean diet.
0: You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Using protein in green smoothies is key. Protein is the most satiating macronutrient, so making sure there's a good amount of protein in your smoothies is the best way to avoid that mid-morning crash and make sure that you are full and happy through lunchtime. I've tried pretty much every protein powder on the market, and there are only a few that I like enough to keep stocked in my kitchen to use in all of my green smoothies, and I am so excited to introduce you to one of them today. Meet Clean Lean Protein by Newzest. Newzest is made from European golden peas and extracted using this awesome, patented, chemical-free technique that ensures the texture is super smooth and not gritty or gross like so many protein powders. And is easy on the stomach because it also takes care of the digestive irritants. It's regularly tested for gluten, soy, dairy, heavy metals, and pesticides. You can rest assured that what you are enjoying is safe. And it's got a 98% digestibility rating, which means it's gentle on your gut and the protein on the label is actually being absorbed and assimilated by your body. Unlike most protein powders, they don't use any gums, emulsifiers, or stabilizers, which hugely helps with flavor and makes sure that there is nothing in there that can irritate your gut. Currently, I am obsessed with their digestive support line. They have a probiotic vanilla and a probiotic cacao. The vanilla gets its flavor from organic vanilla beans and is lightly sweetened with just a touch of organic coconut sugar. The cacao has just organic coconut sugar and cacao powder, and they both have probiotics and L-glutamine, which is one of my favorite gut health supplements. New Zest is one of the only brands I've found that actually tastes good in my daily green smoothies, and I'm a huge believer in not suffering through anything that's not enjoyable in the name of health. It makes my gut feel good, and it helps my blood sugar stay super stable so that I can be energized and ready for my day. Basically, if you are looking for a protein that has everything you want and nothing you don't, Newzest will be your new go-to. And of course, I've got an amazing deal for you. Head to NuZest.us Liz and use code LizM for 20% off your order. Again, that's NuZest, N-U-Z-E-S-T dot Liz, and the code is LizM for 20% off your order. I cannot wait for you to try this protein powder. I know that you are going to be as obsessed as I am. Now let's get back to the episode. Do you have a favorite fish oil supplement? If somebody wanted to go the supplement route,
1: a lot of fish oils suck. I mean, they don't have. Sorry, that's not medical. A lot of fish oils do not have much fish oil in them. They say a thousand milligrams. That's usually two pills. So there's five hundred milligrams per pill, and then in the pill there's a couple hundred milligrams of DHA and EPA. Instead of a thousand milligrams, you're getting more like four or five hundred milligrams. Well, a five ounce piece, four ounce piece of wild salmon—if it's good wild salmon—you're going to have between two to four thousand milligrams.
0: Mm. Just eat the
1: salmon. So I appreciate some people don't.
0: Yeah, I don't eat. I have a mild seafood allergy, so I mm. can't eat seafood basically at
1: all. Can you take the fish oil pills?
0: I can take the pills because I believe it's the protein that is Usually the it's issue.
1: Yeah. 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 I've always, that's why I've always told patients, but like everyone's always like nervous when it's like, I'm nervous.
0: Every time I try a new fish oil, I'm like, am Uh I going to (laughs) die? But I'm like personally invested in the fish oil thing. So what should I, if I'm looking for like an ideal amount of EPA, DHA total dosage, like what am I looking for, for my brain health?
1: Yeah. When we would recommend fish oil regularly, when the data was better, People would push between one and two grams. What that translated in my clinical practice and, and the brain food clinic is I tell people to take a teaspoon of fish oil because a teaspoon back then was like a Nordic Naturals lemon flavored liquid. I think it's the ultimate omega. And I think with the one to two grams is kind of the dose. The, the issue is for depression. The most recent meta-analysis tell us their statistical significance in the effect of fish oil on mood. But it's not clinically significant, meaning that it improves the mood scale by one point.
0: Mm. So what do you do with that? Like, what's your interpretation of that?
1: Well, my interpretation of that is there's a big difference between fish and fish oil. That with fish, one, you're usually replacing another protein meal. For some people, that's great. You're going to get a lot more nutrient density in a piece of wild salmon or my amazing gnocchi with sardine sauce that's delicious and, and i'm not a big fish eater folks that's an honest statement you're just going to get calcium you're going to get all these other nutrients you're really going to get nutrient density whereas with your fish oil you're just going to get you know the, the, the fat and, and so you can still and, and i find a lot of people who take supplements right they're not eating like Liz, right they're oftentimes struggling with a lot of aspects of the modern american diet
0: if you were me and you weren't going to eat seafood, just to mm-hmm. put a fine point on it, and you weren't going to eat seafood, would you say the next best thing is to do a fish oil, but just make sure I have a nutrient dense diet outside of that so that any sort of synergistic reactions that would be happening with eating a whole fish, not a whole fish, <laughs> like, you know, eating actual fish would be mimicked?
1: Well, for sure, that would be the best way for anybody doing supplements and really. You want to have a, a nutrient-dense diet, in my opinion, and, and you're augmenting that. I think in your case, you know, as a nutritional psychiatrist, those of you who are my patient, first, I'd, I'd want to hear the story of the fish. I'd want to hear about the seafood allergy. I'd want to hear about the worst time because mm. usually there's, you know, food is very charged for us. So what food was like and how secure it was as you grew up, what kind of traditions did or didn't get passed down. Mm. So I'd, I'd want to hear about that part of your fish allergy, and then I'd want to, Gently and appropriately explore within that food category some of the other elements, just to see whether either you've never tried them. And so the bivalves, for example, it's a very different set of proteins and shrimp, you know. And a lot of people they're allergic to all, they've tried it all, or they don't like it. But I just kind of try and poke around because I'm one of those people. I didn't eat any seafood until I was 30. Yeah, and it's taken me a long time to kind of develop a palate and really enjoy it. So I'm always sort of curious for things like scallops, where in some ways, a more accessible bivalve or pasta vongole, right? Where you're getting those claims. So, any of those for someone in your case? One, I want to think. There's a question of: Do you need a fish oil supplement? Right? That I think there is an argument that can be made that a lot of people don't eat fish. We do make some long chain omega three fats ourselves. So, for you, maybe seeing what it's like to be on the plant based, the shorter chain the ALA, but kind of pushing that with probably flaxseed is the one that I see you use a fair amount that's a really high omega-3 fat containing grain. That might be a route for you. Because again, if folks mostly, you mentioned anxiety, Mm -hmm. there's there's a little data. But I also think if you take fish oil for a month or six weeks, you don't notice a significant change in your anxiety. Only put people on antidepressants for anxiety and they don't get better, you stop it. But with supplements, it's funny, people kind of continue on. And mm. There's also a little safety issue with fish oil that has never really existed. There was some data coming out. We've always thought when I trained 20 years ago, you know, fish oil was like, oh, it's great for heart. It prevents arrhythmias. I had a little atrial fibrillation years ago. It was terrifying. I was like, where's my fish oil? And then a large study came out, really, I think, uh, suggesting some concern about fish oil is leading to more heart arrhythmias. I kind of do ask that question of whether you even would need one. You've got a mm-hmm. healthy diet. You have an active lifestyle. There are lots of other ways to manage anxiety. Omega-3 fats, it's not like they're highly correlated with anxiety or that there's a lot of data in treatment. Mostly the data right now in nutritional psychiatry for anxiety would suggest really trying to dial in a Mediterranean-style diet or a, your culture's traditional version of that is kind of how I like to put it. There's nothing magical about the Mediterranean diet, but it's a traditional diet. That's the one that's most studied.
0: You mentioned that there were six nutrients that have been studied to have a large impact on the brain. Can you just go through all of those really quickly?
1: There's one magnesium, and magnesium since ketamines in the news a lot. There's this great paper looking at the mechanism of magnesium and how some aspects of mechanisms work. Magnesiums work in the brain. It's kind of like a same or similar pathway as ketamine ketamine is this kind of old anesthetic that we're using in psychiatry as an antidepressant increasingly effectively so magnesium is one i think it's b12 or b9 so folate or vitamin b12 pretty sure it's b12 dha the long-chain omega-3 fat there are a couple of phytonutrients i think they're in the flavonoid family and there's actually a number of different plants and phytonutrients that that are involved and some of that data is a little i would say frontier-esque what is that that's five if we do the federal nutrients i want to say iron everybody yeah and then i would also point out there's one of those ways that bench science right kind of what something does in the lab or how maybe iron or more iron promotes more bdnf expression in a cell culture I always kind of hesitate in the sense that we often see people in the wellness space like translating that directly. Right? Mm. If, if you're anxious, you must not have enough serotonin, so you should take a tryptophan supplement or 5 HT or 5 HTP. Or if you're not sleeping, it's because you don't have enough melatonin, so you should take that, right? I don't know. I love the way that it motivates us and it's like good psychoeducation, but I think also sometimes it gets a little almost like concrete, like it's a very nuanced dynamic system. The idea that, I don't know, we're going to eat or we're going to sort of alter it in a variety of ways, often good intention. Without a lot of data, it is advisable. I don't know. I just always see that as a little bit of a concern.
0: So if somebody came to you in your practice and said, I'm not sleeping well, where would you start?
1: If you come to see us or one of us and you're not sleeping, we're going to get a history of then how it works for you, whether that's falling asleep, staying asleep. I'm going to want to hear about what kind of sleep hygiene game you have, right? Whether that's a concept you know, whether you're already doing the basics, whether there are identifiable things that you know disrupt your sleep and you've kind of struggled with the motivation or maybe tools to change that. Kind of want to know about your early morning light exposures. So we do all that. And then I, I dietarily, I'd want to hear, are there things in the diet disrupting? Are people eating later? Are they having a lot of late day caffeine? Are they You know, they listen to Dr. Drew Ramsey and they're like eating dark chocolate all day, but they're like bug-eyed and anxious and they're getting way too many theobromines, which for some Mm. people can be kind of stimulating. Is there something that is interrupting their sleep that I haven't thought of? And so I'm kind of looking for that as we assess somebody's poor sleep. Sleeping environment then is a huge, a lot of people are, you know, they don't sleep well because they're on the couch or, and I'm guilty of this too, you know, just like, it's hard to turn off Netflix. It's hard to really have discipline around sleep. And then in terms of so other dietary things, I, you know, I kind of in the back of my head am thinking about protein and tryptophan. A lot of people don't realize that melatonin is actually made from serotonin, which that's what the pineal gland does. And that melatonin is really, you know, it's a lot more than sleep. Melatonin is involved in energy regulation and weight regulation, all these other some very powerful antioxidants. Yeah. And actually, the National Sleep Academy just issued a statement advising that no one take melatonin as adults for insomnia until there's first their research done just came out last month.
0: Well, it's a hormone. It's one of those things that always makes me incredibly nervous for people to just be essentially prescribing themselves casually. Yeah, and I'm like, that's a hormone. What are you doing? Yeah, it makes me really nervous as well. So I'm glad you said that. With tryptophan, I always picture turkey because that's what I feel like you always hear about it with. But is there other foods that are high in tryptophan?
1: There are. And tryptophan is the most rare amino acid. Just to pick up what what Liz said, and the American Psychiatric Association kind of annual conference, we have all these great workshops for you have to learn from the experts. So I learned from like the sleep expert on melatonin. This guy only treats depression with light and melatonin. That's it. It's incredible. Up in Washington, in Seattle. And he said that, you know, you should never take more than 0.5 milligrams of melatonin. We often have patients come to us taking five or 10. So we were consulted with a woman. She consulted. She was worried that her daughter was drinking so much coffee. Her daughter was like a late teen and you know, we took a full history and her daughter's drinking a lot of coffee. But the reason is because her daughter was also taking ten milligrams of melatonin wow. every night because she was so anxious about sleep and anxious about school. So sometimes there are home runs like that where it's you can clearly shift things in terms of identifying the culprit of someone's struggle with sleep.
0: Where else are we getting our tryptophan?
1: Sorry. Asparagus. What was that question? So, um, <laughs> asparagus is a good source. Cod is a great source. You know, turkey is a fine source. That idea that like you fall asleep because you tryptophan is ridiculous. It's not like you have a like a fillet of cod and you're like, oh my goodness, the cod's putting me down. It's that's not how it works.
0: It's more about like levels over time and keeping them in a certain
1: place. Yeah, and it's also this model of the brain where it's like there are like nine layers of fat. And cell membranes you have to get through to get to like the middle of a brain cell. And so it's sort of this idea that like you eat it so it goes up in the brain. Like if you really want to increase tryptophan and serotonin in the brain, you should just drink sugar water and you should mm. eat some protein. then, you know, it's one of the reasons I think people crave dessert is you eat a big protein meal and it's all these amino acids then floating around and your brain's like looking through it being like, I just want the tryptophan right now. You know, I've got everything else. And so when you eat sugars, the other large neutral amino acids that tryptophan competes with for transport into the brain, those other amino acids get preferentially pulled into muscle. But tryptophan is going to be most meats and proteins is where I think about it. And then asparagus and one other plant that I'm forgetting. But, you know, it's just one of those things, again, to sort of pay attention to. Eggs are always going to have it because eggs have a perfect protein. So it's one of those easy-peasy solutions to protein questions.
0: Are there any more nourishing or doable on a daily basis alternatives to just drinking sugar water, like a hack that would raise your serotonin or your tryptophan levels?
1: I would say that the number one way that you're going to want to maintain good levels of tryptophan in your serotonin, and in your brain, right now according to the latest science, is to avoid any amounts of inflammation. And the best way, according to science, to do that right now is to eat six servings of fermented foods a day. Mm. So I think if you're carb craving a lot, you're really wanting sugars a lot, I think the two things that really obliterate that are making your main three things. Main source of sweet dark chocolate would be one. I would say eating more fermented foods in terms of shifting the microbiome would be number two. And then I would say third, making the main source of carbohydrates something. Oh, three would be stopping alcohol if you drink alcohol for a little while. If you really want to get control of carb craving and you're drinking alcohol, those two things don't go together ever. Like there's, if you have carb craving, and I don't mean to sound like a teetotaler, but just if you have carb craving, you can't drink alcohol because just you're drinking like copious amounts of sugar water every night and buckets of it on the weekend.
0: Is there a better or worse type of alcohol for brain health?
1: No, there's no amount of alcohol <laughs> that's good for brain health. There's really not. Yeah. I well, and also, the most recent data, you know, I figured there was medicine, nothing
0: good, but I figured I was like, is there anything less bad?
1: I would say that the least harmful is going to be the lowest alcohol fermented product, which would be kombuchas, not hard kombuchas, but there's probably a tiny little bit of alcohol. I mean, I consider myself sober from alcohol, but there's a tiny little bit in here, maybe. A lot of brands are really responsible and get rid of it. I would say that the idea for ever medicine doctors like me would say like, well, you know, two glasses of red, this like very uh, sexist statement, right? Two glasses of red wine for the ladies, one. That's good for your heart and your brain. And I just yeah. think one that's such garbage. Right? Anytime you see a statistic like that repeated over and over and over and over again, it means there's no good science because we never have just one good statistic in science, right? How many eggs are safe to eat? There's only one study about that, the Harvard egg study. Everybody says the same thing. It's a nice piece of science, but my goodness.
0: That's actually a great point when people are trying to make their way through all of the misinformation in the world right now. I think it's a great point that science does tend to be nuanced and complex and disagree with itself. And so if there Mm -hmm. is one talking point everybody is sticking to, it's probably because there's only one study and further research is needed. That's like a great point. I've never heard anybody express so succinctly before. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. If you like saving both money and time on healthy food, you are going to love this. I've been a fan of Thrive Market forever. Fun fact, they were actually one of the first brands that I worked with when I transitioned to full-time content creation, and that happened even though I barely had an audience because I just reached out to my absolute top favorite brands and pestered them until they wanted to work with me. And I am so excited because right now all of you amazing listeners out there can get 40% off your first order when you join Thrive Market today and a free gift worth over $50. I love Thrive Market for so many reasons, but I'd say the convenience factor is absolutely at the top of the list. You can find everything from pantry staples like spices, rice, and cacao to the more specialty items that I used to have to go to like three grocery stores to find, like arrowroot or pumpkin puree when it's out of season or an organic pasta sauce that's actually free of added sugar. They also have pasture-raised and grass-fed meat, which is shipped frozen to your door, and bath and body essentials like sunscreen, toothpaste, and deodorant. So it's really one-stop shopping. Also, let's be real, most of us get a lot of the same stuff every time we go to the store. Thrive remembers that, so it's easy to add all of your personal go-to items back to your cart, and then you can browse to throw in new fun stuff to try, like avocado oil chips or dark chocolate-covered almonds. I highly recommend both of those, by the way. Also, let's talk about prices for a second. I'm not going to lie, eating healthy can be expensive. One of the best things about Thrive Market is that they guarantee the lowest prices on everything they sell. Literally, if you find a lower price somewhere else, they will match it. I feel like I should say that again because it's like a big deal. Literally, if you find a lower price somewhere else, they will match it, which means Thrive Market's prices are the lowest ones anywhere. Seriously, browse their stuff. It's already the lowest price on so many of the products. It's the lowest price I've seen on almond flour, which I love to use in my baked goods to make them more blood sugar stable, but it can often be so pricey. Everything is carefully vetted for quality of ingredients and sourcing, like if it's on Thrive Market, it's pretty much Liz Moody approved, and I do not say that lightly. You can also search by over 90 values, so you can quickly find the brand qualities that matter to you most, whether you're looking for certified B corporations, gluten-free or keto products, or BIPOC-owned businesses. Voting with our dollar is so important and the fact that Thrive Market makes it so easy to put your money where your mouth is, literally, is such a huge win. Can your grocery store do that? Now it can when you go to thrivemarket.com slash healthier together. Join today and get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash healthier together to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. Thrivemarket.com slash healthier together. Now let's get back to the episode. I would love to get into some quick tips and like quick takeaways. So depression, could you maybe give us two more things that we could actively be doing to support our brain if we're dealing with something like depression?
1: Yep. There's a couple of things I really love. One is, is people, if you like fish, upping your canned fish game. I just think that there's a, it's a great way to get fish where it's fresh, it's inexpensive. It's fresh because it's in the can, right? It's inexpensive. And there are lots of easy ways to use it, like a real Caesar salad or pasta sardi. So that's one. I think pesto is a second one of just it's a way of getting a lot of nutrient density, a lot of nuts, especially, you know, basil when it's in season, just a wonderful thing also to make a big batch and put in the freezer, especially if you're busy or you're in grad school or you're working shifts and you just you need something that you can like bam, throw it on the pasta and it makes it healthier than just pasta with red sauce.
0: Well, and you mentioned the phytonutrients as one of the six things. And I feel like herbs are such an underlooked source of phytonutrients. Like people are always talking about lettuce and all of like salads and all of that. But herbs taste really good. You could add them to basically anything and they are so high in phytonutrients.
1: Yep. At the farmhouse in Indiana, we have this little hoop house. It has this like massive ancient oregano and rosemary plants. Oh, and I just like go out there and the just dream. like grab a handful, chop it up. Grab some basil, chop it up, and just dump it in anything. Dump it in eggs, dump it in your stew, put it in your smoothie. The herbs are totally unheralded than phytonutrients. The most important thing if you're having depression right now and you're not eating fermented foods is you should check out the kefir smoothie or any smoothies that Liz is making with fermented foods. All mine have kefir in them. If you're not a dairy person, you can use other stuff. But upping your fermented foods... First of all, the studies say you're going to have about maybe two to four weeks of a little more gas, a little more bloating. But as your gut and microbiome adjusts, you're then going to have a more diverse microbiome and you're going to modulate your immune system. This isn't like crazy wellness talk. This is like a very, very important study that came out by Wastik and Gardner out of Stanford, I don't know, maybe six months ago. I've got some info up on our blog, but it's just a very cool study that said eating plants, meh, it's interesting. Eating more fermented foods, Like it was just really impressive the difference. They did all these complex like proteomic and metabolomic studies on what happened to individuals and looked at their immune cells. And the people who ate fermented foods really had a a robust response.
0: We did a deep dive. If anybody's interested in that, we did a deep dive into that study in the Future of Gut Health episode of the podcast. And it's a fascinating study and it definitely encouraged me to start being more serious about incorporating fermented foods into my diet.
1: It's hard. It's one of the things that's hard to you know do on a regular basis if so you're not used to it, right?
0: I'd buy a little jar of sauerkraut or fermented carrots or something like that, something from the refrigerated section, because if it's not uh-huh. the refrigerated section, just... Word to the wise, anybody listening, if it's not the refrigerated section, you're not getting the benefits that you want. But I just literally will have spoonfuls of it. Sometimes I'll incorporate it into meals, but I found that I was stressing myself out too much trying to figure out how to fit it into all these meals. And now I just kind of like eat it by the spoonful. And then I have it done. And if I put it in a recipe or a meal, great. But then I like have it. And it's, it's something I've actually grown to really crave. I don't know if this is my head, but it seems to help with sugar cravings like in the moment too. It's like one of my best tips for
1: that. Yes. That's nutritional psychiatry. And also, well, yes, I think your evolution of it being this thing and, you know, occasionally to like you craving it and wanting it. And also the, I don't know, come off like the intuitive notion you have of its effect and mm-hmm. even a, a rapid effect. I think that makes, yeah, I mean, I think that does make some sense. But yeah, fermented foods, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi. That one, I don't have a lot of, there's a kimchi fried rice is a way that I've used that more effectively. And then I think probably for a lot of people who are struggling with mood, it's keeping it simple. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get overwhelmed. I think a lot of us, when we get depressed, part of the acting out and perpetuation of the depression is this vicious circle of not having a lot of energy and motivation, having a lot of self loathing, not engaging in self care. Feeling worse, you know. It's like when you notice, like, oh yeah, I haven't had a shower for three days, yeah. and then I felt amazing. It's like, wow, no shit, Sherlock. You feel good when you take care of yourself. But yeah, I'll even see myself engaging in those kind of patterns where it's like, why do you feel so bad? Like, sure, part of it is certainly clinical depression, but part of it is the way that that depression takes us out of all the stuff that feels good. Right? We're isolated. We're not nourishing ourselves often. We're not sleeping well. But yeah, I, I, the hope is for there to be some optimism for people to hear the data. There's a lot of data now looking at, particularly around depression, how food's involved in depression, and then feeling some motivation, right? It's not like every single bite has to be perfect brain food, but the more you can trend things that way over time, certainly the much better for your brain health. There was a study in folks 60 to 65, they looked at nutritional patterns, and the amount of brain shrinkage difference was stark and measurable, which is really surprising that over mm. four years, if you eat garbage food from sixty to sixty-five versus you eat healthy food, your brain just shrinks much faster in the processed food. So it's a nice study by Felice Jacob. And you're asking for other tips. I think cook together. That's one. Mm. And then I like to have a little project. Maybe it's just me. Like I don't know. I got a grill, and I've had a grill before, but I've never had like that pizza stone you put on the grill. Mm. I don't know. So it's just like, I, I don't think I'm going to do a ton of that, but I'm excited to kind of just make learn. Pizza with my kids I do think that learn. learning
0: is such an underlooked part of adult life. And it's something that's so foundational and important in childhood. And then we just kind of let go of it in our adult life. I'm learning tennis right now. I'm taking tennis lessons and I can literally feel like different parts of my brain turn on that have just been sitting dormant.
1: No, no, no. I think learning is – it's funny when you think about BDNF and what triggers BDNF, learning, engagement, feeling progress, all those things are hugely important. During the pandemic, I started jumping horses. I'd always ridden a little bit, but I'd never been like – I'd never had a horse lesson really that many times. And man, the mental state I would get into was just, you know, the, the learning, but just also this kind of physical, mental, spiritual challenge that would happen. It was incredible.
0: Could you share two to three of those little changes if somebody listening wants to just have like a long term protective effect for their brain? They are maybe concerned about getting a neurodegenerative disease or Alzheimer's or things like that, and they just want to bolster their defenses as much as possible right now.
1: Yeah, a few things that pop into my head are guacamole. I mean, in terms of just swaps, of just more guacamole, just avocados, or just really they've got a special seven-chain sugar in them. They've got lots of monounsaturated fat. They're very satiating. I think long-term protective, if you look at from depression, you know, a lot of the data is what people take away. And the way we approach that, I guess a little backwards. Like in our clinic, I really think about how do you replace things, and that's how you get rid of them. How do you replace things? That's how we get rid of them. So if you love burgers, I love burgers, but is there a way to occasionally do a wild salmon burger mm. with canned salmon? It's less expensive than a, a burger if you do it right. And tons of omega-3 fats. You mentioned guacamole, right? If you have cheese dip or ranch dip or you know, swapping that out for guacamole and hummus or one of these more delicious but healthy sauces that are out on the market these days, I think sauces are a place where a lot of people struggle. I think diversity, you know, I see a lot of meat eaters who it's burgers and steaks, or a lot of fish eaters where it's tilapia, period, or shrimp, period. And, and working to diversify yourself as a nutritional psychiatrist, we work in food categories. I was a big kale eater forever. I love kale. I was Dr. Kale for a little while. That was fun. I got teased a lot about that at some annual meetings of doctors, to be honest. But it's my trauma. I'll work that out. But you don't have to eat kale. You want to diversify in the leafy greens, whether it's sunflower sprouts or mesclun or microgreens, like they all have a bunch of interesting benefits.
0: Okay, let's do a few more. I'd love to talk about brain fog briefly. What's actually happening in our brain when we're experiencing something like brain fog?
1: The cause of brain fog for some people is inflammation. About a third, maybe 40, 50% of people who are having struggles with depression and struggles with mood, your inflammatory factors actually go up when you have depression. It's really interesting. And when peripheral sort of body inflammatory factors activate the brain's immune system, well, what happens is our brain does a couple of things. One, it shunts tryptophan from being made into serotonin into being made into these like reactive oxygen species, these things that are they're there to make more inflammation in the brain. When the brain's inflamed, three circuits get messed with mostly mood circuits, anxiety circuits, and cognitive circuits. So that kind mm. of brain fuzziness. It could be inflammation. Everyone's felt that like when you get the flu or when you had COVID, that where your brain is just like, wow, my brain is not working as well.
0: It's fascinating that you say that with the three things, because when I had COVID, I also felt extremely anxious and extremely depressed. And I thought that that was fascinating because it was a really hard mental health period and it wasn't something I was expecting to experience.
1: Yeah. Anytime people get a kind of viral on so I'll see in my practice a lot. I actually saw it with COVID a lot. One of the benefits of telepsychiatry is I get to see people in all stages of COVID. And there's really a mental health component as a lot of people experience, right? A lot more mood reactivity, a lot of pessimism.
0: And that's because of like literally those three things happening in your brain. So it's, it's actually nice to be able for me to divorce. I don't know, like there's something wrong that I should be solving. And this is a viral infection that's impacting my brain in this way.
1: It's like when you're really, really irritable, or your mood's down and you haven't eaten. Yeah. Right. Like we can all get into that spiral of like, oh, like, wow, like, should what, I quit what, my job or on? should right? I what eat some peanut butter? Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's just you know, like I tell you you want to be well nourished, you want to be well rested, you want to be in a contemplative state when you're thinking about your mood and your mental health and the meaning of things. I think that's an important tip for sure.
0: So that said, would anything that we talked about earlier in terms of quelling inflammation be something that if we're experiencing brain fog on a regular basis, that would be something we'd want to look to try?
1: Yeah, the things that I would think about are the most common kind of really important nutrients people tend to be missing. So we mentioned fermented foods, that would be a top. More plants would be a top recommendation. Sources of zinc, so pumpkin seeds, oysters, turkey, I mean, zinc and magnesium are two nutrients that. People know what they're missing, but just kind of don't eat a lot of making sure it's not something reversible. Like anybody who has a change in your mental status, you're depressed, you're anxious, your memory is going, man, get your primary care doctor, get your B12 Mm. checked, get your iron checked, right? Make sure that you don't have a low-lying, low-level infection. Like 10 to 15% of folks over 60 have a B12 deficiency and a lot not because they're eating it because they can't absorb it. I think about 10% of women of childbearing age who still have menses are, are iron deficient. I mean, iron deficiency just is going to like lead you to have fatigue and brain fog. Make sure those things are cleaned up for sure. And then sleep would be the next one. And we focus so much on food and people don't have a good sense of their sleepless. I didn't. I, you know, I've been taking people's sleep histories for, I don't know, 20 years. And he asked folks People say, yeah, yeah, try like six, eight hours. And they give you like, I got some sleep hygiene, you know, I'm trying to do better. And you say, okay. And I'd say the same thing. Like, yeah, I'm getting about eight hours. So I started tracking my sleep. And unless you really work at it, there's no way in hell you're getting eight hours of sleep at night. And most people, I was going to, you know, unless you're going to bed at nine, like if you're a parent, if you're not in bed by nine, you're not getting anywhere close to seven or eight hours of sleep.
0: I will also say, so I have an aura now, which tracks my sleep and I love it. Not sponsored at, I wish that, like, I really want to be their spokesperson, like they're long-term, but they not We don't, all do. We
1: all do. I was like, They yeah, don't know I exist.
0: <laughs> but I was noticing that I was often counting the time I was in bed as like my time asleep. sleep, but you go to bed and you futz around in your phone for a while. And then oh, I yeah. read for a while and I've lost like an hour at both ends. And I was yep, counting yep. that at sleep time.
1: Or you just get up in the middle of the night a couple of times or you get disturbed a couple of yeah. times. Before our dog passed away, he was in our bed with us. And it's like not as sharp because I just – the reason also, Liz, is that you clean out. So this new course, Healing the Modern Brain. I got to do some deeper dive into sleep science. And there's this whole system of the brain that got discovered not that long ago. We didn't even know it existed called the glymphatic system. The glymphatic system is how your brain cleans out waste. Mm. And so there's all this like work I see a lot of people doing to eat clean foods, eat brain foods, exercise, but their sleep is not addressed.
0: And the glymphatic system, correct me if I'm wrong, Isn't that activated during deep sleep specifically? Yeah,
1: they think like stage three, four. And so that's how when I had an order ring, that's what I would look at. I just look at how much deep sleep. It's not a perfect measure, the rings and all the trackers, but one, it gamifies it a little bit. Yeah. Two, it allows you to make some correlations. Like uh, you get a little bit more of that good sleep when you are active and move during the day. Yeah, but it's seven grams of waste a night that gets cleaned out of your brain. And so who doesn't want a clean brain?
0: You're listening to the Healthier Together Podcast. We love talking about our gut health here on the Healthier Together Podcast, which is why I'm so excited to share the life-changing Seed Daily Symbiotic. I actually discovered Seed back when I was working as an editor full-time. A bottle came across my desk and I was instantly taken by how cute the green glass packaging is. Then I found out that that packaging was actually refillable so that seed could share its products as sustainably as possible. And then I actually looked into the research behind seed and, well, I was blown away. First of all, seed is not just a probiotic. It is a symbiotic. That means it contains both pre- and probiotics, which is super important. In fact, if you remember my Ask the Doctor Gut Health edition, we talked about how prebiotics are one of the most important and often underlooked components of great gut health. Let me break it down for you. Probiotics are the live bacteria that are so beneficial to our gut health, but prebiotics are the food that those probiotics need to thrive. If you don't have ample prebiotics, the probiotics you're consuming will be undernourished and not be able to help your health in the way that you want. Speaking of your health, there's also a common misconception that probiotics or symbiotics are for people with gut issues, which is so not true. Like, yes, the seed symbiotic is amazing for your gut health, but your gut health impacts everything in your entire body. Your skin, your mental health, your cardiovascular health, your ability to actually assimilate the maximum amount of nutrients from all that healthy food you're eating. Having a happy gut is critical for all of it. It is hard to narrow down everything else that I love about seed. I am extremely particular with my supplements and I don't take many, but seed is just stellar across the board. It's been tested and tested and tested. Seriously, their testing process is bananas to make sure that it has 100% survival through the digestive process, which is so rare. And somehow they do all of that without needing refrigeration, which is very handy. I find that when I have refrigerated probiotics, I just... Forget about them and they get buried behind old jars of pasta sauce, whereas I keep these on my bedside table so I'm reminded to take them every single night. They also contain the 24 strains that are the most scientifically studied to support your whole body's health. I am obviously passionate about this stuff. Taking care of my gut has been a key part of my own anxiety journey, and Seed has been a vital part of that. So feel free to reach out with any questions. And if you like learning about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to Seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in some of the easiest to understand ways that I have ever seen. And if you'd like to try Seed for yourself and pretty much change your life forever, you can get 15% off your first month's supply of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic by going to Seed.com daily dash symbiotic and using the code Liz Moody. Again, that's code Liz Moody on Seed.com slash daily dash S-Y-N-B-I-O-T-I-C. Now let's get back to the episode. Do you have any hacks for getting that deep sleep in the glymphatic system activating sleep? Like I've heard that if you go to sleep earlier, you're going to get more deep sleep because deep sleep tends to occur earlier in the night. So if you like go to sleep at one or two, you're never going to get as much deep sleep. Is there anything else we can do to activate our glymphatic brain cleaning system?
1: I would say that probably staying somewhat hydrated is helpful. That one's kind of obvious, but you're trying to mobilize and like clean stuff out. So you want lots of fluids up there. Mm. I think the early bedtime is great. Get up and look at light, right? Because that sort of starts the clock. It's 6 a.m. Like I sit here and I face east. The minute the sun comes up, I open the door, I go look out. I try to schedule that actually. I schedule a little time between patients to go and just get my early morning light. But I think that's probably one of the most critical, is to kind of start those clocks. I think avoiding late night eating. I just think everything slows down. And so heading into sleep also, I would say in a relaxed state, a lot of people don't stretch. I find a lot of patients, my patients, when they're in their heads a lot, just getting them into their body, getting on the foam roller, getting on the roller ball, just spending a good five or six minutes kind of preparing the body. Mm. There's no evidence I have, but I think that's very helpful. Air filter. Again, there's no data, but like if you have cleaner air, It's going to be a cleaner thing for you to be breathing in and and dealing with.
0: Well, and I would widen that to anything you can do to make sure that you're breathing well throughout the night, whether you need like a breathe right strip, you need an air filter, but making sure you're not having those like micro wake up moments from not literally getting enough oxygen in your brain.
1: Oh, and the one we should mention to be medically responsible if you are told you are snoring or you make this noise at night. (coughs) Ever you have sleep apnea until proven. Otherwise, if you're anyone, it's super dangerous. If you're a man, it's the most common cause of sudden death in men. Wow. And so if Go you have got, if you got a man in your life, you've got a little thick neck, you're next to him, he's snoring, he's good, a sleep study. A lot of them are done at home now. You have to wear a little mask or you can get some nasal cans. I always tell people you can make decisions about treatment once you hear all the options and you know what you have. But a lot of people avoid just getting that definitive answer. So that's a major cause of sleep disturbances for people.
0: In terms of hydration, are there any hydration hacks that you like or any little hydration tips that you like? like I add a little pinch of mineral salt to my water to get those sort of electrolytes in and get more hydration in. Is there anything other than just drink more water that you can offer in terms of hydration?
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of tea and also herbal teas. People are having trouble sleeping and they want to start with something really natural and gentle. I think some of the sleepy time teas, whether it's Skullcap or Chamomile or Kava Kava, they'll call them soporific teas that help people sleep. I think all those are really quite interesting and quite effective for some people. That's a nice way to kind of stay hydrated. Also helps, you know, drinking water gets kind of boring to some people and some patients. So, yeah. And cutting out alcohol, I know we said that.
0: If somebody listening is vegan or vegetarian, is there anything that they should definitely be including in their diet to make sure they're protecting or boosting their brain health?
1: For vegans, 100% B12 supplement. Please avoid all this. There's this debate about whether you can get B12 from food or not and like data about B12 analogs and seaweeds. And it's like so frustrating to me, like 80 plus percent of British vegans have low levels of B12 Mm. of that. I think it's 52% are frankly deficient. Mm. So that means those gentlemen who are trying to be healthy and live a vegan lifestyle, their brain is shrinking day by day as they Mm. head towards depression and dementia. That's just what happens with B12 deficiency. It's not like a accusation against all our vegan friends that's important. I, I think if you have mood disorders or anxiety disorders, really thinking about your fat intake and your protein intake, right? Where is that going to come from? To The other big challenge for vegans and vegetarians is staying off the processed foods. There's just so much marketed to them. I was veggie for like 10 years, but for people kind of in their late 30s or 40s, you've lived some of your life in like vegetarian hell, right? Like I was a vegetarian in the 90s and it was like there were veggie burgers and snack well cookies. Yeah. That's kind of it.
0: Yeah. You get excited. You're like, oh, there's so many yeah, options available.
1: Totally. And there's so many new products to try. So I think just really watching for the creep of processed food. But the B12, iron and zinc, there's a little data in both vegetarians and vegans I feel get kind of defensive about this. And I don't mean it in that way. I'm a brain health guy. I want to take care of your brain. And so there's some data that mental health disorders are more common or more prevalent in vegan and vegetarian. There's three large meta analyses that came out about that maybe four or five years ago. It's correlational studies, so it's not 100% clear what that means. For vegan or vegetarian, and you're thinking about your mental health, you want to look at your fats, you want to look at proteins, you want to think about B vitamins and zinc and iron. And I think you want to do that in a, I would say, non-defensive way, just it's your brain.
0: Let's do a little bit of a quick fire of like, favorite this for this. Do you have any favorite spices for brain health? Things you love to incorporate in your cooking?
1: I like to incorporate ginger into a lot of my cooking. I think that's one of my favorites. I like to have some reasonably fresh herbs or fresh jars of spices to kind of go through them quickly. I mean, I I try to not have a lot of them at once because I find that they just sit.
0: I would actually say that's like a hugely under discussed thing with spices is that they lose both their flavor, but also all of their therapeutic properties over time. And so if you have old spices, they're not going to be as good for you or as delicious as if you have fresh spices.
1: Yeah. And I and also looked at experts like you, Liz, or Linda Shu, who's a physician who is also a chef and, and has a think, spice box kitchen. She's got a great book all about spices. For me, I'm a like salt, pepper, olive oil, fresh herbs kind of guy. Right now, honestly, I have salt, pepper. I've got that like fancy salt that I like, the Maldon salt. I've got like some grandma salt. I mean, I I don't have a lot. I really am uh, kind of very... I've gotten this a really simple middle-aged guy groove of like, I like roasted vegetables with olive oil, salt, and pepper.
0: What about teas? Do you have favorite teas for brain health?
1: I'm a huge Earl Grey drinker. There's a little data about bergamot. I think it'd be DNF. I really like mint teas, ginger tea. I like sleepy time teas. I'm a huge tea drinker. I, I like green teas. I probably try and drink. I mean, I, I said I'm a shrink, right? So I sit in therapy. It's like you don't have a lot. You're like listening, and you can take little notes and and drink like a kombucha or tea. And so I probably put down I don't know two or three cups of tea and several kombuchas a day. Yeah, I love I love tea. And then all the tea in my kombucha.
0: What's the data about bergamot and BDNF? That's interesting.
1: It's like a little study. It's like okay. a, it's like <laughs> one of those like cell line studies that well, it's interesting, but there's not ample data.
0: What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting and brain health?
1: Well, intermittent fasting is a way of decreasing caloric intake, which generally is good for longevity and brain health. So, you know, not in any dangerous way, but you know, if you look at people who eat three thousand calories versus two thousand calories a day. One way to think about it is: the more fuel you put in, the more oxidation that happens, the more free radicals that get formed. So, less fuel equals fewer free radicals. What I like about it is how people contend with and experience hunger in a healthy way, which I think has really gotten moved for a lot of people with all the snacks and waters and drinks and beverages. The idea that you're going to go an extended period of time without consuming anything think is really an intriguing spot for people to be in. I think the mental state that happens with little fasting after you get past is really kind of an interesting space. When I fast before my labs annually, my doctor, I, I worked in one year, It was like late, it was like one. She's like, you still fasting? I said, yeah. She's like, are you feeling closer to God? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I kind of am. It's like, so I like it. I, I also think that it's the intermittent fasting or the eating windows some people, it really helps them to have some hard, fast rules. I mean, I think we have to acknowledge as much as we can all have good ideas and talk about change, it's really hard to change things for a lot of people. And so, having a window where there's a hard, fast rule, I've had a few friends who are vegan, yes, and ask them why, and they're like, you know, I just don't want to eat garbage meat. I don't want to eat fast food. And I just found like when I adhere to a vegan lifestyle, I just don't find myself making those choices. I think an eating window does that for some folks as well.
0: Is there data, though, that it would help with something acute like anxiety or depression or brain fog?
1: No, I mean, pretty much going into ketosis initially makes people's mental health a little bit questionable or shaky. And then over the long term, there's not a lot of data. A lot of people in ketosis, you know, really feel more energy and better mental health. But yeah, in terms of longer term, you know, for the most part, restricting calories, you know, isn't great for people's anxiety or mood.
0: You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. When I worked as a magazine editor, I wrote more than a thousand articles about turmeric because pretty much all of the doctors that I used as sources kept recommending it or citing it as one of the supplements that they would personally take. Here's the background. Turmeric is one of the most powerful ways to fight inflammation. In a nutshell, there are two types of inflammation, acute and chronic. Acute inflammation can actually be a good thing. It's one of the ways that your body heals and repairs itself. But when that system goes haywire, we get chronic inflammation, which essentially makes your body feel like it's constantly under attack. The vast majority of doctors I work with cite chronic inflammation as one of the root causes of so many of our modern ailments, and research links inflammation with heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, cancer, arthritis, and gut issues like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. I am never going to sit around and tell you that a supplement will cure everything that ails you, but if you're looking for a turmeric supplement to help get your inflammation under control, I am extremely impressed with Paleo Valleys. To increase the bioavailability of turmeric, you need to consume it with black pepper, which most people know, and fat, which many people forget about. Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has black pepper and coconut oil to maximize absorption and three other powerful anti-inflammatories, ginger, rosemary, and clove, for a maximum synergistic response. It also has no fillers, binders, or preservatives and is made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. Finally, it's third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I've had my uncle taking this for about three months, and he's gone from having debilitating back pain due to an autoimmune condition to being almost completely pain-free. Valley has a number of other incredibly high-quality food-derived supplements, including a vitamin C that I adore, vitamin C is my ultimate favorite supplement for skin health, and a neuro mushroom powder that Zach loves for increasing energy and focus, so definitely explore their website. If you'd like to check out the Turmeric Complex, the Vitamin C, the Neuro Effect, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products, head over to paleovalley.com and use the code LizM for 15% off. That's paleovalley.com and code LizM for 15% off your order. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I love chatting about this stuff. Now, let's get back to the episode. Are there any little weird tweaks that we haven't talked about yet that maybe aren't being widely discussed that people could do that would benefit their brains? This could be either something that you would consume or something that you would do.
1: I think there's so many things that most people don't do every single day to take care of their brains. I mean, it can be as simple as like, I don't know, looking into your friend's eyes or partner's eyes or kid's eyes just more intentionally. And I really sitting with that or, or gratitude exercises, right? So many of us have such blessed lives of so much, just so much choice and so much privilege. So to really soak that in, especially as we live in a very kind of accomplishment and focused society. I think in terms of food, we've talked about most of my favorite swaps and, and changes, you know, I don't think we've talked a lot about colorful vegetables and just, you know, one of the simpler things, just are there three or more colors, natural colors on your plate at every single meal? Also, the way you know, we didn't really mention, we talk a little bit about microgreens. But I find I'm not eating a lot of big salads. Yeah, but I find myself sprinkling a lot of microgreens on things, you know. Especially if, like, I don't know, I'm rushing, I'm having a bowl of pasta. I like pasta. You know, I'll just chop up a bunch of kale or drop a bunch of microgreens on there, mix it in. I find that really makes me slow down, chew it a little bit more.
0: And microgreens tend to be like a little bit more nutrient dense than larger yeah, greens. Like, yes.
1: They're like the veal of the vegan world. Like when I eat those sunflower sprouts, think about it. You're eating that sunflower sprout. That thing's going to become a sunflower.
0: Yeah. It's got all that packed into it.
1: You're taking all that genetic potential just for your greedy self. It's true. (laughs) I mean, it's true. Sunflowers are beautiful. Another idea just popped into my oatmeal. We haven't talked about oatmeal.
0: Okay. Talk to me about oatmeal.
1: But it's one of those underrated foods that when you look, you know, look at those prebiotic foods, right? If everybody Googles the prebiotic foods that are supposed to be really good for the microbiome. You see things that most people don't have to do with like Jerusalem artichokes, chicory root, right? Ah, which I think, again, drive people towards processed foods and powders that mm. contain those things as opposed to, I don't know, oatmeal. Super inexpensive, really easy. You can make it savory. You can make it sweet. You can just put berries and nuts on it. An incredible source of fiber, particularly beta-glucan fiber. that's really good for you. And then nuts in your smoothie. Mm-hmm. We talked about nuts and them kind of being a good choice. But, you know, again, one of the reasons I like them is putting them, like, I'll put pumpkin seeds in my omelets or my salads, I put cashews in almost all my smoothies. Um, just find mm-hmm. that it prevents the smoothie from just being like a sugar bomb.
0: It gives that satiety effect. Yep.
1: And then I'm trying to think of other tips I have. We've got a new download, The Ultimate Mental Fitness Morning, and I feel like I'm missing a couple of the essential tips, which I'm going to regret as soon as we hang up.
0: Is there anything that you do every morning that we haven't talked about yet?
1: Oh, well, let's see. My morning routine is pretty straightforward. Every morning I get up. The very first thing I do, but it's a system I worked out with myself, is I check the front page of The New York Times to make sure that nothing has gone nuclear, because uh, that's sort of a catastrophic way that I control my anxiety about the state of the world. Once I've checked that off the list, I give a big gratitude prayer, and put my feet on the ground and take a deep breath. I then go make a very strong pot of black coffee. And then every morning, yeah, I smell my kids. I go and like uh, make sure they've got their covers on their toes. And so their last like hour of sleep is kind of cuddly. And I give them a little kiss and smell them and tell them I love them. And then I hang out with my wife for a little bit. And I don't know process any dreams. Then if I have time, I like to try and do like a little, I don't do a lot of movement before I start seeing patients, but a little bit, but also, you know, ideally if I get like a little music in my life early in the morning, I find mm. that really important. Yeah. Then hygiene, bathing, shaving. I like that. But I, I really like spending that, as you know, very like good mental health time. I really am very intentional. That's like really delicious. And I'm really grateful for the warm water and for like a little time for myself. But then that's all I've got to then get in and start seeing a patient. If it's a day that I don't start early, which is for me, is usually, I don't know, like 6 a.m. local time. Then if I can get early morning exercise in, especially usually I need a partner, challenge buddy with that to come in. But if I've got somebody committed, I love being on the mountaintop early. You know, it's just such a wonderful spot to be in.
0: We've talked about obviously a ton of stuff in this episode. I would love for you to just leave us with one thing, one homework assignment, maybe the smallest thing that would potentially have the largest benefit that we could all start doing today for better brain health.
1: Well, I, it's going to be maybe surprising. We've talked so much, everyone, about like food and nourishment and all these things, but I, I really think the most motivating, stimulating thing for us as human beings, really revolves around our attachment and engagement with other brains. And so I think if there's anything, I would hope that everybody has stayed with us all this time, and I really I appreciate your time. I'm just so honored to, I don't know, to share with so many of your fans and followers, Liz. But you know, to really, this week, thinking about what active activity, what active thing you can do to deepen an important relationship. And that can be a simple thing like a phone call. That can be a nice thing. I, I meet a lot of people who have forgotten about date nights in the relationship, forgotten about romance in some way. So whether it's a friendship of just making a plan with somebody, I don't know, I have a couple of new friends. And I just, you know, the idea is sometimes I get to go, instead of going out solo, meet some guys for a ride. I don't know. It's such a, just effectively different treats. I think partially, Liz, that comes from a sense that there's all kinds of choices we make every day in terms of our food and our activity. But my sense is right now coming out of the pandemic, with the war in Ukraine, with the political polarization happening in our country, that people are really overwhelmed emotionally. And I think as a mental health professional, as a psychiatrist, to me, it's also felt like there hasn't been a period of processing. We've been constantly adapting. We've been really resilient, right? But for people who have lost someone whose lives have significantly changed, it just hasn't been a lot of time to sit with that and and, and process it. And so I guess that's where my recommendation comes from right now. Maybe you have me back on. I'll have a wittier one. I'll be like the secret Amazonian cacao that I found. I I
0: completely agree though. I do think that we're going to, see on a mass societal level, the implications of the fact that we were just told like, okay, get back to normal with no processing, no anything of the fact that we've all experienced uh, two years, unlike any other in our lives.
1: Yeah, I think you're entirely right. And I think also because of that, because it's not anything we've experienced, how we process it is a little challenge. I've been shrinking for 20 years. I've never been through something like this where my patients and I are in the same boat, mm. right? We're like early in the pandemic talking about like, well, I don't know, how long do you let the packages sit outside with alcohol? And I'm <laughs> like, well, this is what I read. What'd you read? So where the fear, anxiety, insomnia that you're all having, you're experiencing together, I've never had that. And, and so figuring out ways to process that the that yeah. are different, right? Maybe you've never journaled, maybe you've never spent a lot of time in nature, I've spent a lot of time going down mountains. I haven't spent a lot of time going up them. I found this energy and peacefulness and energetic spiritual connections is just going up these mountains out here. I don't know how to explain it. I feel there's like some perpetual energy machine inside me that like just turns on and wants to go.
0: Well, I think there's something about giving ourselves permission we have experienced trauma. You don't have to compare it to somebody else's trauma or another trauma. Like you have experienced trauma and you can give yourself the space to process it. And I think that's wildly important. And a lot of people well, aren't yeah, doing it.
1: Maybe that's a better tip. I'm gonna go back. Well, okay. Liz asked me what my thought is like don't invalidate your trauma. Mm. That's what I would say. That I think that oftentimes when we think about trauma, it's violent crimes, it's rape, you know, it's horrible traumatic things. And then when we think about other traumas, we call them like trauma with a little t, which I kind of get personally offended by. Like, yeah, my traumas all sound like they have little t's, but that's not how it feels to me.
0: And your brain isn't like, oh, it's like a little t, you know?
1: Don't worry, (laughs) that parental neglect that you had back when you were a kid, don't worry, that was a little t.
0: Yeah,
1: it gets in there and things get triggered, right? Lots of people, I mean, even the stuff that people are embarrassed about, but I hear about all the time, we're like, oh, we just lost a pet. And that pet has been our pet predated our kids, right? It's like it comes up and it hits you in the weirdest ways of seeing cute puppies. I heard a jingle. I thought I was like, listen, I heard like a jingle of her dog's collar Ugh. and like choked up, you know, it's just so all to say that trauma doesn't have to be something that is there stuck with you forever saying that we're traumatized or being quote unquote triggered by things emotionally. I think oftentimes people feel as signs that they haven't healed. It's like people who are maybe struggling with addiction, if they have a craving, right, that means they didn't heal. And and I don't think about it that way at all. I think about when our nervous systems and our emotional systems get really activated. It's it's really potent times for us to learn, but also to be really gentle with ourselves and really not invalidate our personal experiences as more or less traumatic than other people's, but sit with what they're doing to us, how they're inside of us, how they need to be worked out in some way or, or understood.
0: I completely agree. And I think that's a really beautiful and important note to end on. Do you want to talk a little bit about the stuff you have going on? You've mentioned courses and your book and all of these things.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, Liz. I mean, everything you folks can find on druramsemd.com. I mean, the exciting thing, we have a new course, Healing the Modern Brain, which is really my, my biggest effort to date in terms of resources and new science on mental fitness and just the many activities I want people to be engaging in on a daily basis. The new book, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety, and if folks are interested in nutritional psychiatry, I really try and bring together all the science along with some great recipes and a six-week plan in the book. And then we have our Friday Fields newsletter, which is, you know, it's kind of if you're interested in mental health and working with your mental health, check it out. And then I guess we mentioned the clinic. We just have great clinicians. So if anybody is looking to do some deep work, we've got a great team, and we'd be happy to think about that. And Liz, thank you. I just want to say it's really fun to get to talk with you. And it sounds like we're going to get to hang out here in Wyoming. So I'm going to get to uh, thinking about what super cool wellness activities, the hot springs. Hot springs for sure. The hot springs are the way to my heart, always. Okay. The elk herd, it's going to be, we're going to find a moose for you. It's
0: going to be epic.
1: It's going to be epic. Some buffalo, it's going to be good.
0: Thank you so much for planning my itinerary and also for coming on the podcast to share all of your wisdom with us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity, Liz, and everybody, thanks for listening. It's really a treat to be with you all for a while.
0: I hope you loved this episode with Drew. If you're new here, make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We have amazing ones coming up, including a top psychologist talking about how to be happier at work and the world's leading imposter syndrome researcher sharing pragmatic tips for beating imposter syndrome in your own life. We also have a super fun giveaway for this episode. Drew has so generously agreed to give one lucky listener a free 30-minute virtual consult to talk about anything that you want. This is a big deal. He's literally not accepting new patients at any price right now, so to be able to get in with him at all, much less a free visit, is amazing. We will also be giving away a few copies of his brilliant book, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety, which is available wherever books are sold, just so as many people can win as possible. To enter, just follow both of us on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and he is at Drew Ramsey MD. And then comment one thing that you loved or learned in this episode on my most recent Instagram post. The post can be about anything. I can tell that you're entering from what the comment says. You can also get a bonus entry by sharing anything that you want about this episode on your stories and tagging both of us. It can be literally anything. It can be a recipe that you're trying, a tip that you learned, just that you love the episode. Just make sure that you tag both of us so that I can see it, so that I can know that it counts as your bonus entry. I will DM winners in a few weeks. Good luck. Okay, I love you. I hope that you're taking gentle care of yourself. And I will see you on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. It takes a lot for a health supplement company to wow me, but Symbiotica really breaks the mold. If you haven't discovered them yet, they make really different products than any other supplement company I've seen before. They have a lot, so I highly recommend that you check out their website and take their quiz to find out what's best for your specific goals. But I wanted to call out a few of my personal favorites. First of all, the topical magnesium. You all know I love magnesium, and I've always wanted a topical spray that wasn't sticky, that felt good and luxurious to use and that actually let the magnesium absorb into my body, which requires DMSO as an ingredient, which I have actually never seen in any other product. If you have achy muscles or sore feet, this is literal heaven. And I also love it before bed to help with sleep. And then I have become increasingly interested in minerals. We talk a lot about vitamins, but adequate minerals are so key for energy. And unfortunately, it's become harder to get adequate minerals because our soil is so depleted of them. The Symbiotica Shilajit supplement is one of the best mineral supplements that I've found. And the research around G is profound. There's robust human and animal research that shows it acts on ATP in a way that significantly helps restore and create energy, which is one of the biggest things that I love it for as a low caffeine consumer. There's also robust research around its anti-inflammatory properties, its brain protective properties, and more. I think of it more as a whole food than a supplement. It's a naturally occurring resin, and I just mix a little bit of it into my afternoon tea or my decaf coffee drinks. And like all Symbiotica products, there are no additives, fillers, toxins, or artificial flavors. Of course, I have a special discount for you. You can use code LizMoody to get 15% off plus free shipping on subscription orders. Again, that's code LizMoody for 15% off on Symbiotica.com.